At this time, I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. If y'all could follow Miss Sarah, that'd be fantastic. Uh, today, we're going to be wrapping up this little series on knowing God's will. And for some of you, it's been rather um, simple, foundational, or elemental, and, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, sometimes the m- most important way to think about things is is basically or in a in a elementary sort of a way. Uh, I, I had sent out, I think, an email. Maybe it was three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I can't really remember. But I told I told the story about Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson going out on a camping trip, and they eat one evening and fall asleep uh, about three o'clock in the morning. It seems um, Sherlock Holmes wakes up. Wakes up Dr. Watson, his friend, and says, look up at the stars. What do you see? And Watson says, well, I see millions and millions of stars. Yes, but what does that mean? Says Sherlock Holmes. And Dr. Watson said, well, uh, astrologically, it, it means that, uh, that there are millions and millions of galaxies with potentially billions and billions of stars. Um, Astronomically, astrologically, I can see that Saturn is in, in Leo. Uh, meteorologically, I kind of anticipate that tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day. Orologically, I can see that it's probably quarter past three. And theologically, I can see that God is an incredible God, that he would create the vastness of this universe and that we are so small before such a great God. And uh, then uh, Sherlock Holmes says, says, well, here... That's that's great. And Dr. Watson says, well, but what do you see? What do you make of all of this? And Sherlock Holmes says, well, it's elementary. I look up and see the stars, and I, I notice that someone has stolen our tent. Uh, you know, sometimes the greatest thinking is not in overthinking our thinking. And if you ever follow any of the Sherlock Holmes movies or books and all the rest, yes, he's profound in terms of noticing things, but he notices things and puts them together very, very simply. And when it comes to profound thinking, probably there's never been anybody much more profound, if more profound, than Augustine of Hippo. Now, Hippo, not the animal, we're talking about this northern town in, in Africa. If you were to ask theologians today, who's one of the most influential people of all time in terms of Christian thinking, St. Augustine is going to be on most everybody's top ten list, maybe top three list. He did a lot of serious thinking about God. This is back in 354 to 430 A.D. A lot of serious thinking about God, a lot of reading the Bible, a lot of reflection, a lot of theological writings. And he summarized it like this, thinking about God and doing life with God. He said, love God and do what you will. Now, it wasn't do whatever you want and love God. It wasn't love God and do what you want. Why? Because if you love God... If you love God for who God is, not as a means to an end, but as an end of, in of himself, if you love God for who he is, your heart is going to be, be with his. Your desires are going to be his. And when your desires are his desires, then whatever you do is going to be in accordance with God. It, it's like uh, Proverbs. Uh, the, the book of Proverbs tells us this. It says, delight, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's not, hey, Get the desires of your heart, and then you're going to delight in God because God's going to have given you what you wanted. A lot of churches will turn things upside down a little bit. They'll go, you know, if I name and claim, if I get what it is that I want, I'm going to thank God for it because he was a means to an end, and I got what it was that I was really after. Now I'm happy in God because he gave me what I wanted. That's not what it's saying. 
Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart because if you delight yourself in the Lord, if he's your, if he's your end in and of himself, if your pleasure is ultimately in him, your heart's going to be with his heart. You're going to desire what he desires. And so whatever you want is going to be what he wants because you and God are on the same page because God is at the center of your life, not you. That's what Augustine was getting at. That's what the Proverbs are getting at. And so when it comes to knowing God's will, it's actually rather rudimentary. It's actually elemental. It's, it's foundational. You find your joy in the Lord. You find him to be the desire of your heart. You find your pleasure ultimately in him. And whatever you're doing is going to be in step with God. It, I put it like this in the screen overhead. Everything you do in your life that is right and pleasing to the Lord flows from being right with the Lord and being pleased with him. Knowing God's will is just not that complicated. That's been the thesis of this whole, this whole series. It's not as complicated as people make it out to be. So let me just kind of summarize where we've been. And as we wrap things up, I'm going to cover a little bit more ground. But here's where we've been so far. It's very elemental. Number one, God's will is more about who we are than where we go. Number two, God longs for us to desire him more than his answers to our lives. Number three, our role is to follow God's will for our lives, not to find God's will for our lives, because if we're a follower, he'll reveal it to us. Number four, if we do not intend to follow God's will for our lives, then we should not uh, care to know God's will for our lives because it's not just an intellectual exercise or uh, a mere exercise in curiosities. If you're not going to follow, why would you expect God to reveal? And then number five, following God involves following a healthy conscience because God reveals the steps he wants us to take one step at a time as we move through life with him. And that's why we spent some time talking about the conscience and maintaining a healthy conscience and regaining a healthy conscience because... Because as we're doing life with God one step at a time, that's largely how he is leading us. Because if he is our ultimate pleasure, then what we are pleased to do is it's pleasing to him. It's really just not that complicated. Now, some of us are thinking, okay, Ernest, thanks. Thanks for making it real simple. But what we want to know is about the weird stuff. You know? I mean, what about that time when God's big hand wrote his will on the wall and... What about trances and visions and dreams and audible voice of God? I mean, what about angelic visitations? I mean, what about all the weird stuff? I mean, come on, come on, come on. Doesn't God do stuff like that to show us his will? Yes. God can do whatever God wants to do in order to reveal what it is that he wants you to do. But it's not standard. Okay. I'm going to be real careful here. There have been two times in my life where I would say I had like God, I don't know what you call it. God-level weird things. Uh, one was a kind of a waking vision, and another was a dream. Three nights in a row, exactly the same dream, and knew exactly what it was all about. Two times that I would say that was like God-level strange. Now, let me just make it plain to you here. If I insisted I'm never going to move forward in my life following you, God, unless you make it weird, so far I would have gone five feet. That's not normal. You want to follow God every day, you can't say, well, here's how it's going to have to be, and you're going to have to give me a, you know, an audible word or a vision or a dream or an angelic visitation. If God needs to do these things, he's going to do these things. But on the whole, that's not how it happens for us. And, and let me tell you something else. It's not how it happened for people in the Old Testament, and it's not how it happened for people in the New Testament. Not as a matter of course. Now, here's why people start thinking, but it, it needs to be weird, and it needs to be weird frequently. In the Bible, you've got to recognize that the reason there are so many 
recorded instances of an audible voice or angelic visitations or dreams is because those are the things that get the press. What, what I mean is, if you're reading through the Bible, it's not going to talk about every ordinary day because things are unique or extraordinary. They're going to be recorded for us. But don't get the impression that that happened for everybody all of the time. It, it doesn't. Just because something is recorded in the Bible in a narrative doesn't mean that that narrative is normative or common. Let me explain what I mean. The Apostle Paul. We all know that the Apostle Paul had visions. He, you know, he had this moment where he was blinded by the light and he hears the voice of the Lord and it's amazing and he gets caught up to the third heaven and he sees things and it's amazing. Didn't happen like that for the Apostle Paul day in and day out. Absolutely not. So what do you mean, Ernest? Demonstrate this to me. Let's just think through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It is obvious to people, theologians, scholars, people who study Paul and the, the epistles, they go, there was actually a strategy for Paul. He's thinking things out. He's being, you know, wise with uh, maximizing his call and his gifts and his opportunities. And he's got a strategy and a procedure. And so he goes around, he goes along these massive trade routes and he goes to large cities. Not that God's opposed to sending people to small towns, but he's thinking about spreading the gospel. And so he goes where there's going to be a lot of people and there's going to be a lot of traffic. And he goes to the Jews first and the Gentiles second. And there's a technique or there's a a mentality or there's an, an approach that just makes sense. And so you can just look at how the Apostle Paul operates and you go, this guy is using wisdom and thought and reason and practicality in how he does his missionary life. It's very much like you and me. Now, I want to give you a a couple of passages, and we're going to direct your attention to two passages in particular just to sort of demonstrate this. And I'm not going to stand for everything, but let's go ahead and stand out of respect for God who's speaking to us through his very normal word. This is Romans chapter 1, and uh, we're going to start with verse 8. Paul is talking about his desire to go to Rome, and look what he says. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, Because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers, that if it is somehow God's will, like, wait, 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 if it's somehow God's will, like, you're Paul, the Apostle Paul, Mr., you know, hotline to God, Paul, like, if it's somehow God's will, I kind of want to come. I may now at last succeed in coming to you because I've been trying, but it hasn't worked. But I don't feel guilty about trying and not succeeding because I've just been wanting to come see you guys. For I want very much to see you. I want, he's not embarrassed to say, here's what I want. I want very much to see you so that, then here's a reason, so that uh, I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. This is going to be a good visit. It'll be good for me. It'll be good for you. It'll be mutually beneficial. That's why I want to come. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. Like, I tried to do this. And it's like, what, what's wrong with you, Paul? Why were you trying to do it? If you didn't know God was going to open the door, that, that's how life works. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now. In order that, because I've got a reason, that I might have a fruitful ministry among you because I want to be fruitful with my ministry. I want to make the most of what's been given to me. I want to be fruitful, just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. See, what I've done before, I'm going to repeat again because it just kind of makes sense and I think it's going to work with you like it's worked with other people. I am obligated. I've got a calling. 
both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. You, you see how normal this is? Okay. I just want you to know, Paul, day in and day out, just operated along these lines. Like, I got a strategy. I want to see you. I think it's going to be beneficial. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be good for me. I'm trying to work this out. Hopefully there's an open door this time. Do you get that? Let me direct your attention to another passage. This is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, and we're going to start with verse 4. If it seems advisable for me to go also, like if advisable, you're getting advice. And if you're hoping this works out, they, that is the men approved, will accompany me. Because this is how this is how it works on a journey. You're with people and you, you kind of work with them and we'll see how it all works out together. It's, it's pretty normal. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. I'll be in the neighborhood, so I'm going to stop by. Kind of makes sense. Perhaps, perhaps, like I'm not so sure, but perhaps, maybe, I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter. We'll see how it goes. So that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I'm helping you, you're helping me, this is the way life works. I don't, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. See, that's not what I want to do. And I'm not embarrassed telling you what I want to do or don't want to do. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. That is, if the Lord opens the door. And I'm not so sure he's going to, but I hope that he does. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. You see, where I am right now, people are responding well to the gospel. And since there's an open door, I need to kind of stay here. And it's a great opportunity. And, and if I leave right now... Things would be really a mess because there's some disastrous people. If they're empowered and I don't take care of that, they're going to blow everything up. And so I need to stay for a little bit longer because there's the upside and there's an incredible downside. But I'll, I'll hopefully get to you when I can get to you. Now, that's Paul. That's pretty normal. Does that resonate with anybody? Is that kind of how life works with you? That's how life works with Paul. What I'm trying to say is, yes, the Apostle Paul, he did have these moments where... You know, he's on the road to Damascus and he's blinded by the light. And here's the verse of the Lord, the, the voice of the Lord, you know, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that's like, it's amazing. And he does have this vision. He's caught up to the third heaven and God says to him, you know, my power is made perfect in weakness. And it's amazing. Paul did not get blinded by the light every day. He didn't get caught up to the third heaven on a weekly basis. Okay. Can that happen? Yes. But here's something I also want you to be aware of. While God does lead and speak in these extraordinary ways, oftentimes the reason there's an angelic visit or a voice from God or an incredible vision or you get blinded by the light, oftentimes that happens because the person is way off track or because uh, they're very comfortable and God has to get extreme so as to move them. Okay, I think I've got this uh, for the... Screen here. God will dramatically reveal his will when he has to do so. And commonly, God has to be so dramatic because we are so far off track or comfortable. Okay. Now, let's, let's turn our attention to, to Peter. Which, let me just think, let's think through Paul. Why does God blind him with the light and speak to him? Because Saul's going 180 degrees in the wrong direction. It's not because Saul's so spiritual. It's because he's so not. That's why God gets dramatic. Okay. Uh, 
Also, even that time when he has this vision, he gets caught up to the third heaven and all the rest, he seems to be struggling with this thorn in the flesh. Like, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this. God has to say, no, no, embrace it. Now, I'm not saying that that always happens, but it's very common that people are so far off track or so comfortable, God has to get dramatic. For me, one time it was because God was leading me somewhere else. Another time, it's because I was struggling with something, and I knew in these dreams that God was dealing with me, it's because I was not where I needed to be. One time I was comfortable, one time I was resisting. That's what happened for me. Not because I was so spiritual, but because I was kind of like out of place. And some of you, you may have had similar experiences along those lines. The the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 10. Peter has this vision. It's it's amazing. He's in this trance, the Bible says, and there's this sheet that comes down from heaven and it's got all these animals clean and unclean and god says peter get up kill and eat and peter's like not me i'm kosher and it happens three times why does god get so dramatic with peter here's why because peter's been disobedient because peter has been essentially in a very comfortable place you see 10 years earlier you know god had told peter and all the other apostles Go, go take the message outside of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the other ends of the earth. And, and so for the first decade, Peter, as one of the pillar apostles, was basically resistant. I'm comfortable in my kosher world with my kosher friends doing kosher things. And I'm not getting out of here. We're not going to take that gospel to the Gentiles. For the first decade, Christianity was almost entirely Jewish. So here's Peter. He's been resistant. He's been comfortable. What does God have to do? Shake him up to go get to the Gentiles. That's not an indication that Peter was especially close to God or that Paul was especially close to God, that God had to get dramatic. It's because they were not really in the right place and uh, maybe even resistant to what God was doing. I'm just saying, don't expect as a normal course every day to have a Damascus Road experience or to be caught up to the third heaven. Does that happen? Yes. Yes, but be careful about praying for or desiring or coveting the extraordinary. That's not how it normally works. God will do what God wants to do so as to, pe- to, so as to get his people to where they need to be, internally, spiritually, or where they need to be in terms of ministry service. But our concern is not how God leads us, just that he does. And if you're expecting God to be dramatic, your expectations are going to be sadly disappointed because there's no place in the Bible that I could think of. And if anybody corrects me after the service, that's perfectly fine. You'll be like, I don't know, our youth. Um, but if you, can, if, you, if you can find something, no, really, if you can find something in the Bible that would correct me on this, let me know. But I could not think of one instance anywhere in all the Bible where anybody ever prayed, God, give me a sign. God, I'll follow you, but you've got to give me an angelic visit. I need to hear this auditorily from you. Nobody seeks after that. In fact, there's, a, there's this occasion where Jesus said, a wicked and perverse generation seeks after signs and wonders. And I'll tell you what, they're not going to get it. It's a, it's a wrong mentality. Now, some of us are thinking, wait, wait, wait. Hey, 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 Ernest, what about Gideon? Remember that whole thing where Gideon takes the fleece and lays it out before God? I mean, wasn't he seeking after sign? Before I get into that and explain this, I want to say... That passage is probably the most misunderstood or misinterpreted, misapplied passage in the Bible. Okay? But before we even get into that, I want you to understand that when Gideon prays for this sign, it's not a circumstantial sign, it's a miraculous sign. You never have anybody praying for, 
a circumstantial sign, and you never have in the Bible a circumstantial sign that is ever provided. Let me, let me explain what I mean. A circumstantial sign would be, oh, dear God, I love her so much. If she wears a blue dress, I know she's the one. If she wears a red dress, she's not. If she wears plaid, I'm going to be confused. Uh, and so, and so, you know, she comes over in a red dress. She's the one. I'm like, no, oh, that's, that's a circumstantial sign. You never do that in the Bible. You never see an example of that in the Bible. You know why? Because we will misinterpret circumstances. There's something called, I don't know, confirmation bias. You see something and you go, oh yeah, that's it. And then you disregard other things that would go against what you're wanting. You want to see something, you see that. You don't want to see something, you ignore that. People will interpret circumstances in crazy ways all the time, most of the time in a self-serving way where you're wanting what it is that you actually wanted. But look, I, uh, there was a, there was a, you know, before I married Gina, I just want you to know I dated. Yeah, I know it's true. Yes. And, uh, and there was this one gal, she was kind of interesting and I helped her and her friends start this for sorority at, at Baylor. It was like Chi Omega and, uh, she winked. I like, you know, I like winking. That's just kind of cool. So she would wink at me a lot. And I thought, Maybe, God, that's a sign. Maybe I should invite her out. And then she told me about this time she was praying for something, and the Lord showed her there were geese that were flying south overhead in August. And she knew God wanted her to do this and that. And I thought, you know, every August, geese fly south. (laughs) You probably should have prayed for geese to fly north. And that would be a sign. And so I thought, bird signs, nature signs, like, you're Wiccan. No, thank you. Uh, I'm just saying, we can take, and I'm like, I know, you know, there's times, like I saw a sunset and it felt warm, and I, okay, I get that. But, you know, leaves fall in the fall. Birds fly south for winter. It's like normal. We have a tendency to see circumstances. And I'm kind of making fun, but, you know, you go back to 1 Samuel, which we talked about before, where David is in the cave with Saul, and Saul is in this very compromised position, and the men say, hey, this is the day the Lord has delivered him into your hands. You know, stab this guy in the back while he's going to the bathroom, and everybody go, yay! Okay, whatever, weird. But it looked like, circumstantially, this is an opportunity, because what are the chances that the king is in the cave with David? I mean, it's like, you know, wow, this is it. And we know, no, that wasn't it. You can see circumstances and interpret them to your own particular favor. That's not biblical. Don't do that. You will be, you will be mistaken. Oftentimes later you can look back on things and see how God worked things together, but that's different than, than particular circumstances being leading indicators. It's not in the Bible. It's not biblical. The Bible doesn't teach that. Doesn't model that. Now, getting back to Gideon. Well, what about the time Gideon lays the fleece out? Let me tell you the story. This is over in Judges, I think Judges uh, chapter 6. And, uh, and in Judges, Gideon is threshing weed out underneath this, uh, this oak tree. And uh, an angel comes and visits him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you in a powerful way, so powerful that you're going to lead Israel over the Midianites, your enemies. And Gideon, who's kind of a weakling, kind of a, you know, a Barney Fife sort of character, and he's a little bit cowardly. Uh, he says, well, you know, I'm just not so sure. And so the angel talks and says, yeah, no, no, this is the Lord's will that you lead the armies of the Lord and defeat the Midianites. God is with you. He's going to win the battle. Okay, that, okay, now we can stop right there and go, wait, an angel visited and talked with them and they had a conversation. For most of us, that's enough. 
You know, that's enough. He knows that it's God. He knows that's an angel. And then Gideon's like, well, you know, I'm not so sure that I can trust the Lord's word on this. Give me a sign. And then the next sign is Gideon takes some meat and some grain and offers it to God on this rock. And the angel takes a staff and touches it. And the rock bursts into flames, which is pretty cool, and consumes the the offering. And then the angel disappears. But for Gideon, eh, you know, okay, an angel came and told me the will of the Lord. And then he consumed the offering and the rock burst into flame. It's like, that's not enough. And then you, you have the whole fleece episode. Let's read this. Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, if you're a promise-keeping God. Okay, now wait a second. Don't ever say that to God. Don't be like Gideon. Well, if God, you promised, and I'm not so sure you're actually going to do this, but if you can be trusted, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know. Then I will know that you'll save Israel. Not because you promised, but because you made a fleece wet. (laughs) Then I will know. That you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Well, okay, God, you did that. But then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Now, we can make several observations here on this text. One, Gideon's got problems. Gideon's got issues. Don't be like Gideon. He's not trying to find God's will in all this. He knows God's will. He's trying to avoid it. He's not asking for a sign so he can know God's will. He already knows God's will. And the reason he's asking for these miraculous signs is he's looking for an out. He's looking for an opportunity to say no. Now, the the lesson here is when you know what God wants you to do, go do it. We can get to a point where we're like, we're looking for more and we're looking for more and we're looking for more. We can't move forward. And you know why you can't? Because you're waiting for something else that is going to enable you an out. That's what Gideon was looking for. He's not being, he's not trying to find a sign. He's looking for an exit from what he knows God wants him to do. At a certain point, when you know what it is that God wants you to do, you better go do it. At a certain point, you're just, you know, you, it can be childish. Give me another sign. Give me another sign. Come on. Stop it. That's Gideon. He, he was, but God, the amazing thing is, God is so humble that he gives a, a spiritual child who he's going to use to lead the army of the Lord. He gives this spiritual baby more than he deserved. If God ever leads you to do something, it's not because you're so extraordinary. It's because God's so gracious. Gideon is in every way a spiritual Barney Fife. And God is more gracious to this guy than he should ever have had to have been. But God still was gracious. He was still patient and he still did it. But that doesn't make Gideon a positive example. He's a negative example. Don't be like Gideon. Now, 
Next week, we're going to start a new series, so we need to finish, finish this up. Next week, we're going to start looking at 1 Corinthians. And uh, next week, we also have a special guest. The Apostle Paul is going to be here to give us an overview. Not, not the good, fake Apostle Paul, the poor imitation of the imitation of Apostle Paul. So, you know, you might want to come back. It's going to be fun. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and, and uh, kind of wrap this up. I'm going to give you... Uh, seven basic questions of self-examination as you're trying to figure out, is this from God or not? Is this God's will or not? Is God in this decision or action or not? Uh, seven questions of reflection. Number one, is this about God or me? If it's all about you, you're, you're off track. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. If God's on the back burner, you can't trust that whatever you're doing next is is from God or not. Number two, have I prayed about this? You need to pray about it. It might be three days. It might be a week or two weeks, but it might be a day or an afternoon. But pray about it. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given him. Number three, am I using my brain? God gave you a brain, use it. You've probably heard that before. It's more biblical than it's not biblical. I could give you all kinds of evidence of this. We just looked at the Apostle Paul, how he used his brain to follow God. But let's look at this. Proverbs 1, 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If what you're considering is patently foolish or unadvised or unreasonable, uh, whoever's leading you down that path is probably not God. That's not to say that you have to understand everything or everything always has to make sense to you. But if you're not using your brain, you, you know, you're not using an important tool that God gave you. Be wise, not foolish. Number four, is there any blood at my feet and is it mine? And here's what I mean. Jesus explained, if anyone would come after me, uh, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Uh, whenever you're doing what it is that God would have you to do, almost always there's some pain or suffering. Now, that doesn't mean it's not all good because when, you know, ladies, when you have a baby, it's like, yay, this is joyful, and then there's the pain of the labor. A- almost always there's some pain, there's some suffering, in, at least in the transition. If we are to be living sacrifices on the altar as living sacrifices, there's going to be blood and squirming. If... I mean, it's just, it's just what it is. And so sometimes I'll have people say, well, I just had a peace about it. And there was no pain, no suffering. It's like, I don't, you know, I think you're misinterpreting that passage. Uh, if you're following God, it's not always easy. In fact, rarely is it without some pain or difficulty if you're following God. Number five, does this action or decision maximize my service or benefit to other people? Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Is this good for other people? Is it good for God? Is it good for other people? It, because your concern is you third. Number six, does God seem to be orchestrating something here? In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how God is sovereign and he's taking the parts of the body and putting them together so that there's, so that the whole body is functioning uh, better at ma- maximum capacity. And then over in chapter 14, verse 33, he says, God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. There's a settledness. There's an orderliness about God. Or uh, The book of Romans talks about how God works all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose. We don't always see how God is putting things together, but oftentimes you can at least out of the corner of your eye or get a glimpse of, you know, God just seems to be, he seems to be up to something. He's working some things out. And it's not just for me, but it's for other people too. Uh, Henry Blackaby years ago had this material called Experiencing God. How many of y'all ever read that, exposed to that, familiar with that? You know, it's, I thought it was a little overdone, okay? Uh, but I had to say that the central thesis was about right, and, and I'm trying to summarize it 
Watch to see where God is working and join him in his work. If God's up to something, you join him. That's the way that it works. And a lot of times you can kind of see he's orchestrating. Then, then number seven, here's the last question, and I don't know if it's the most important, but you better ask it. How is the Lord leading me? Just ask that. You say, well, that's not really answering a question. No, it's not. But if you're going to get the right answer, you always ask the right question. And if you're a follower, that means he's leading. And, and again, it's not about us doing things for God so much as it is about us responding to his invitation to do life with him, to be involved in what he's up to. And the Lord leads. I don't always know how he's going to speak or in what way he's going to lead, but the bottom line is, if you ask, Lord, where are you leading me? What do you want me to do? God will respond to that question because if you're a follower, he'll make it plain. God speaks plainly. You don't need to demand that it's an auditory voice. You don't need to demand that he give you a vision or blind you with a light. But when you ask, Lord, where are you leading me? He will answer every time let's bow for a word of prayer Uh, lord thank you so much for your, your love and your graciousness to invite you to do life with you and that is ultimately what the cross is about we are forgiven but it's not just so that we can go free we're 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 forgiven our our sins are taken care of so that we can draw near we, we, are, we are forgiven our sins so that we would come into the family and join you on what it is that you are doing in your redemptive work for this world. You, you, in, you invite us onto the path, but the way we get onto the path and walk with you is through the forgiveness of our sins. You don't just forgive us and say, go on your way, you're off scot-free. No, you're forgiven, now join me. So the very fact that we are invited into your life is amazing. You, you know, some people are just high-maintenance people and we're just like, okay, you're forgiven, now get out of my face. For you, it's like, no, you're forgiven and you're my child. You're forgiven and you're with me. So the very fact that you want to reveal your will to us as we walk with you is incredibly gracious because you, I don't know why you you want such a personal relationship with the likes of me, but you do. And I just want to say thank you. You're so gracious. It's not just about tasking us to go do things. It's being invited into life with you. And and one thing's for sure, whatever you do, it's right. It's not always just about where do we go. It's the way you transform us on the journey and the way you deal with us as we walk with you. So, Lord, we affirm your ways and we just say thank you for being our good shepherd, a God who is always clear. And if we are ever unclear, that's not on you, it's on us. So forgive us. Forgive us our disobedience. Forgive us our our saying. Forgive us our, our treating you like a like a consultant. You're our king, not our consultant. You're a, you're not just a. You know, you, you don't just give us. You know, you're our lord. You, you don't just give us suggestions. And so, actually, our answer to you always, before you even speak, should always be yes. We don't need to know what it is you want us to do. Our answer to you is already already yes. Because in Jesus Christ, you you said yes to us without reservation. And uh, so following you ought to be easy. You yielded completely wholeheartedly without reservation to the likes of sinners like us. And so it's only appropriate that we would respond with yielded surrender. So, Lord, I don't know what you're speaking to everyone in this room, but maybe the real simple elementary thing is that we would yield. 
that even now, before we know what it is that you want, our answer to you is yes. And maybe, Lord, there's someone here, someone watching, who has yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, and they've been holding back because they thought, I don't, if I yield to you, well, I'm not so sure that's safe. And the reality is, you yielded to us when it was completely unsafe, and it cost you everything. Help us to see that and, and respond to, to that grace. And so maybe someone here would say, it is a privilege. It is a, it's actually an honor to be invited into a relationship with you, a Lord who wants to lead and guide and make the most of my life and make it, make it count for eternal consequence. I want my life to be filled with meaning, and I want my life to be filled with you. And I know I've been a fool, not just in doing the wrong, but doing the wrong, knowing to be wrong, and even doing some right things in a wrong-headed way, trying to avoid you or keep you off my back. And, and I see, God, you've invited me into a relationship with you. You've invited me to follow, to walk with you as a friend. And so, God, I want to say yes to that. And I know following you begins with receiving what it is you've already done for me. So, God, I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life I should have lived, and he died a horrible death that I deserved to die. And you did it, not just so that I would be forgiven, but that I could join you on the path. So, God, right now I want to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord and spend the rest of my days following you, not to earn your favor, but in keeping with the favor you, by your grace, have already granted me. God, thank you for saving me from my sin. Teach me what it means to follow you all the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.